Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 481 of Longbox Heroes. Joe and Todd here. Todd, how are you? I'm doing great. Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. Right. I let you say it because I like the way you say Lamborghini. It's not because I'm staring at it and you just reminded me seconds before we started (laughs) recording to say it. Right. Yeah. Oh, love you, Joe. Love you. My mind is Mm -hmm. failing me. All of my body is failing me, Todd. Ah, right. We've been over our parts that are given out. Well, the head is finally starting to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely need new glasses, and I think I might have to get bifocals. Oh, don't start me on my eyes. My glasses just broke the other day, too. Luckily, I had a backup pair, but go yeah. ahead. I got, a, I got a strong prescription because I've had bad eyesight since I was like seven or eight. Me, too. And now I'm having problems like reading. I and I, I I blame the light. I blame if things are not lit properly. I have a tough time reading them. Mm-hmm. And there was one time where maybe about a month or so ago, like usually first thing I wake up in the morning and I come and I sit down at the computer and I have my text file of RSS feeds open for the day, <laughs> ready to go for the podcasts. Right. And usually it takes a couple minutes for my light, my eyes to adjust to the light, you know, which mm-hmm. is a computer screen. And there was one day about a month or so ago where it was like 10 minutes and I'm like, yeah, everything's still real blurry. There's something going on here. And I had a real bad headache that day, too. So it was like a lot of cu- stuff coupled with that. I definitely mm-hmm. shouldn't have driven myself to super secret <laughs> science job, but I did. Right. See, I never want to blame the light because I want the light to come so I can go into it. That's oh, all I'm going to say. What if because of your poor eyesight, you just kind of miss the light a little bit mm-hmm. and only like a third of your body goes in? Oh, I hope it's well. The th- a third of my body is a normal person's regular body. Right. So. I was doing the gazintas on how much I weigh versus how much my kid weighs and how much uh, my wife weighs. And oh, boy. You could put the two of them together, add two, and you know, you know, add your favorite uh, prime number, and you've still got a couple <laughs> extra pounds to work with. Mm-hmm. But hey, we got comic book stuff to talk about. Can't wait. We only wasted two minutes of your time here up front. <laughs> uh, we have a follow up to a story from last week. Uh, we have. Uh, discussion of Marvel's next big event for 2020, which I think they're rolling out the teaser book for it next week. And we have a surprise for one of the saltiest individuals that we discuss on the show. And Todd, wouldn't you know who won the pony? It wouldn't be a week of this show if we weren't discussing the latest list of DC canceled trades and omnibuses. Oh, they canceled something at DC? Oh, oh. oh my goodness. Let me good thing I was sitting down. Go ahead. Yes. Uh we have uh conventions to discuss, digital sales and freebies, what we read this past week, uh which is Immortal Hulk number 28 and Doom 2099 number 1, what we're looking forward to this week. Uh, We also have a bunch of stuff in the mailbag. 
a follow-up from last week's uh, top 50 best first issues of all time. The next 10 issues came out, and we're going to kind of talk about those a little bit. And uh, we're also going to talk about the mid-season finale, middle break point of <laughs> Flash slash Crisis on Infinite Earths, and the most recent episode of The Man, DeLorean, and Todd's crazy theory that's crazy. That's right. Baby Yoda, I got all the answers. <laughs> when you change the questions, I change the Baby Yoda. Mm. So a follow-up uh, to a story from a week or so ago, I think it was last week, where we had discussed for the first time in a very long time creators of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles themselves, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, are going to be teaming up to do a story in the IDW comic uh, sometime summer of 2020. And they did say uh, that it is going to be an Elseworld-type story set sometime in the near future, not necessarily any part of any given continuity, but maybe it will turn out to be. That's right. You give them, They just gave themselves a lot of wiggle room there, Joe. <laughs> right, and we only mention that because we questioned whether or not it would be part of the current or existing continuity. Um, the old Mirage continuity, who knows, right. right? And because a lot of times when the book was coming out, um, when the book was coming out regularly back in the 80s and 90s, they would specifically say in the solicitations that like, hey, this next issue that's coming out is part of continuity. Mm -hmm. Or like all the other ones that you were reading weren't or aren't or whatever. Right. Anything that was P uh, anything that uh, Peter, uh, Peter, David, Peter Larratt or Kevin Eastman wrote. That was part of continuity. Anything else anybody wrote was out of continuity, except for Rick Veach, because that was like the best told story. And they're like, slide that one in because people are buying it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, hey, also uh, spinning out of the story from last week, which spun out of the episode of the toys that made us about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on eBay through the official Mirage Studio ebay store they are selling two uh, original art pieces done by eastman and Laird. one is of donatello one is of Raphael. um auctions are currently ongoing for the next week as you're listening to this show and the Raphael one the all the proceeds for it are being donated to benefit the turtle island restoration network of olema marin county california and the Donatello one is being, all the proceeds are going to benefit the Food Bank of Western Massachusetts. And uh, now this is, uh, this is kind of more on the line of uh, doink prototype money and <laughs> less on Attitude Era uh, musical guitar mm -hmm. kind of money. But these are some real nice pieces. Hey, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird make good comic books and they're really good artists and these yep. are really nice. Way too expensive for me, but uh, I'll be keeping an eye on them. I think we'll follow up on these next week. I'm going to put them on my watch list. They are already on my watch list. And I didn't see the episode. You may have. One of them, I'm, apparently, because it doesn't say in the uh, in the uh, descriptions, but I'm guessing from what I read, like because I found these through Twitter and stuff like that with Kevin Eastman and other people, that I'm guessing Kevin drew one of them and Peter inked it, and then Peter 
drew the other one and Kevin inked it. Like, you know, the opposite. So I'm not sure which one is which, but either way, I that, that's the old Mirage style that got me hooked. So I wish I had some folding money around so I can get those. Uh, now, th- I will say this. The, the Raphael one specifically states that... Uh, it says pencils by Kevin, inks by Peter, specifically. Okay. So then I guess the other one's the other way from what they were saying. Well, the other one doesn't specifically state that. Right, but I'm going by what I read on other things. I mean, I, would, I wouldn't hold it to me if you're going to spend that kind of money, but that's what I remember reading somewhere else. Yep. Right. Uh, I mean, so yeah, I don't know if you're an art collector, if you're a Ninja Turtles fan, if you're whatever. I don't know. Check these out. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You got some money for uh, Christmas, maybe uh, get an advance, or maybe you got that <laughs> Christmas bonus that uh, only existed in 80s and 90s movies and TV shows, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe you could purchase one of those. When I worked at the bookmaking factory in Scranton, my Christmas bonus was free soda out of the soda machine, not cans, the little cup that drops down. And that went very quickly. They were all out of cups, so you had to do get it in your hands if you want it. And the other, and then the big bosses came down to the office and gave you your Christmas bonus, a firm, hearty handshake. And I was like, are they kidding? And all the workers around there are like, you're 18, son. They are not kidding. That's your Christmas bonus. I will say at Super Secret Science Job, many, many moons ago, they used to do a Christmas party. Mm-hmm. But I never went to it just because I don't like to socialize. Right. And I think people com- – like, I didn't care one way or the other, but people complained that, like, oh, you know, I don't have time or this doesn't benefit everyone. So they do, like, a whole week of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think yesterday we had bagels. They were from Ooh. the local grocery store. Oh. Still okay. Still good. Today was nothing. I think <laughs> <laughs> I think tomorrow <laughs> is cake from a local cakery. That's Ooh. a really good cake place. They're not a sponsor, so I'm not going to mention their name. No, I hope they uh, bake me a cake, a wish cake. Yeah, I'll, I wish you'd handed this holy thing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It was, this wasn't in the script. And then uh, Thursday is like kind of they're going to cater uh, brunch for us. And they do when they cater, they usually cater very well. Oh, good. So everyone gets to participate in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that we all get to participate in, see that segue, uh, oh. is the next big Marvel event that's coming out. Uh, the incoming book comes out next week. That is going to lead into Empire, and that's Empire with a Y. I'm not really sure what it's in regards to. Of course, Marvel hyping it up, the most earth-shattering event of 2020, whatever, whatever. Uh, possibly Cree folk are involved in it, and it's going to be written by Al Ewing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I like Al Ewing a lot. He's been doing a lot of good work over on that Immortal Hulk. Excuse me. And... Uh, yeah, you know, incoming will tell the tale a lot how much I'm going to stick around with another big giant event. What? I at 5.99 for the or probably 7.99 for the first issue and then 4 or 5.99 for the consecutive issues. I think that's a deal at twice the price, Joe. Oh boy. Well, we'll see. We we'll, I always like to 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 mention those sort of things, you know. Mhm. Uh so another thing just kind of mention it because it's someone that we talk about on the show here. Um a, gra- a a miniseries graphic novel 
that Salty Keith, a.k.a. Keith Giffen, did for Vertigo 15 years ago. Right. Is being optioned into a movie. Good for him. And Salty Keith didn't know about it until Bleeding Cool told him. Bleeding Cool did something good. I, I, listen, I think I think Bleeding Cool does more good than bad. Mm-hmm. I just think they do it in a bad way. <laughs> well, we do a lot of good, but we do it badly, so it all evens right. out. We do it yeah. in a real kind of jerky way. <laughs> right. And not like beef jerky, the good jerky, the, the other right. kind of jerky. But yeah, and this is this is actually news to me. I'm a big Keith fan, and I don't remember Keith ever doing a Vertigo project, so... Right. I'm like, oh, I don't have it. But now, because it's going to be a thing, it's a billion dollars. Speculation Nation, Joe. Yeah, and they already said that uh, the hardcover has jumped in price from $10 to $50 mm-hmm. as an introduction by uh, John Carpenter. Now, I will say this, of course. Uh, so it's a, you know, kind of like a study sort of pseudo-fiction story about H.P. Lovecraft's life. Mm -hmm. And there were two other people who were listed above it where the the artist and the screenwriter were listed above Keith on the trade dress Mm -hmm. where it was an unproduced screenplay that Keith adapted into a comic book after the screenplay never got picked up. And now, 15 years later, it's getting picked up. Right, but they're not using the screenplay... They're using the comic. Right. Crazy. I don't know, man. It's the way the it's the way the world works these days, I guess. I don't know what to tell you. Right, because a screenplay is just words, Joe. Where this is words with like the the what do you call it? The art that, that they do for a movie and stuff like that. It's all ready to go. They have they have everything they need. They have the storyboards and story over here, but over there it's just a screenplay. So this one's yep. better. So good for Salty Keith. Hopefully he'll be a little less salty. The corner of his lips may even move when he gets that check, Joe. Mm. Well, let's not go crazy. We'll never know because of his beard. Oh. So lastly, but not leastly, of course, we have to discuss the cancellation of some Marvel (laughs) or a Marvel (laughs) Marvel doesn't put these things out. You know, and this is so funny, too, as we bring this up. I think I'm more aware of the DC trades and omnibuses and collections because they mess with them so much. Mm -hmm. Whereas Marvel, we never discuss it because it seems as though Marvel collections kind of run always on time. Uh, Right, but uh, yeah, I guess you could say that. They don't... They don't have a lot of golden age, you know, uh, stuff that they sell in bronze age. I just know. I just feel like DC has, and I'm not a DC guy, has the cream of the crop, like has those, those cult classic books that are not just, I, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's just, it's weird. Like, there's something different about like DC will have Neil Gaiman's and, and Alan Moore's while the best Marvel has, and I'm not doing this as a slight is Chris Claremont, if that makes any sense. Yeah, Like, they have the upper echelon, you know, cult books where Marvel just has superhero stuff. So I'm more attuned to to see what DC's putting out, if that makes any sense. Right. That's why I watch it. 
So the the latest cancellations, and again, always it's a cancellation saying the contents will be made available in a different format at a later date. Mm-hmm. And it's quite the mixed bag. It's volume eight of Batman's <laughs> Golden Age Omnibus. But that has the first Catwoman's brother, Joe. Oh my goodness. You know how I know that, right? I do know how you know that. That's how I was tipped off to the story if I wasn't already tipped off to it to begin. Don't worry, I would have sent it along if we hadn't been tipped off by the way we were tipped off. Right. Also canceled is the John Byrne Superman Man of Steel Omnibus, Volume 1. Right. Absolute Fables, Volume 1. Mm-hmm. And in a weird... And like this... This is something, since we're so attuned to it, um, the Road to Legion uh, has been canceled as well. The current stuff that leads into the new Bendis book. Right. Where it was collecting the Legion Millennium two-issue thing. Right. The random issue of Supergirl and the two issues of Superman that led into all this. That's a weird one. I wonder if they're waiting for more Legion issues to go with it. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking maybe they're going to pop the Superman stuff out, do the Millennium thing, and maybe like the first like three or four issues of Legion instead. That one I don't know. Yeah, but that seems like something that would be more likely. Right. Now, I'm almost certain that they've collected Fables before. I don't think they've done it in absolute, but they've collected it multiple, multiple times. Mm-hmm. And Man and- of I'm surprised that they've never done a John Byrne Man of Steel omnibus before in the past. Well, they two things on the uh, on the John Byrne's omnibus. Uh, I just think that they haven't really started doing omnibuses until the last couple of years. Mm. Like I'm trying to remember, like the first omnibuses I really remember were all Jeff John stuff. Like the first ones were like Teen Titans and his Flash omnibus. Those were like the first ones that I remember DC doing. So they never really had any of that older stuff. They had John Burns stuff in trade before that, but not omnibus. And thinking about like the uh, absolute that they have canceled, I was like, I think that just was like, we, they looked at their pre-orders and they were like, you know what? This isn't Sandman. This isn't Alan Moore's, you know, Watchmen or Swamp Thing. We don't have the sales to garner eight Omnibuy, which they're probably going to need to do, or eight Absolutes to do uh, to finish the product. Because once you start, like I said before, once you start an Absolute, you better finish them or nobody's going to have the confidence in buying them because they're going to go like, you're going to get halfway through and I'm not going to get the rest. You know what I mean? Every one they've done so far, they've completed. So don't start it if you, don't start none, you know, if you don't think you can finish it. Right, so here we get that Volume 8 of the Batman Golden Age one, mm-hmm. which, you know, that's your don't start where you can't finish sort of thing, you know? But that's, that, see, I'm different on that. I'm of the point with the with the absolutes because there's such a small print run and that's an exclusive thing for, like, collectors. That's, as I always joke, that's the Lamborghini of trade collections, where the omnibuses, at some point, you're going to stop making them because they just don't sell. Like, if you if you hit that point and you're not getting the pre-orders, then, then they're just not going to make them. So I have no problem with them stopping omnibuses on books that ran a, a thousand issues, Joe. Because right. at some point, you're just going to be like, 
nobody's going to want these like golden age in the middle or the, 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 the silver age in the middle, maybe just these certain issues. So to me, there's a difference between omnibus on a run of Batman and, and uh, absolutes, which are usually finite runs of acclaimed books. Does that make any sense? Yes. Like they don't do absolutes for the third stage of golden age Batman's. They do it for Sandman, Swamp Thing, Transmet, Preacher, you know, so the the heavy hitters, if you will. That's I love true. I love my absolute. So, so going over to conventions for this week, mm-hmm. there are none, Todd. What? No Christmas comic convention? Santa's not having one? And as a preview for next week, unless I'm mistaken, I don't think there's any conventions next week either. Mm. Probably not. And they should have a they should have a New Year's Eve convention. I would totally be with a bunch of comic fans getting drunk, you know, spilling champagne all over Golden Age books. Let's do that. I remember last year there may have been a comic book convention that did happen on New Year's Eve. I kind of remember it too. And I can only imagine that it did so poorly mm-hmm. that they decided not to do it. It may not have been this year, it may have been last, or like, and it may not have been last year, it might have been the year before. Right. I mean, it's, everything kind of blends together. I mean, if you're not having it in Vegas, it's not worth it. Yeah. It was two years ago, because two years ago, uh, you know, rolled into, I think, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day sort of thing over the course of the weekend, as opposed to like in the middle of the week, like it is this year. Right. So anyway, uh, no conventions, but there are still show notes because there's going to be impertinent information in there for you to discuss, uh, such as stuff on the soon to be named network at soon to be named network dot com at soon to be named network dot dot com. Uh, anytime any of the shows in our fun little network conglomeration of like-minded individuals puts out a show or they appear on some other podcast somewhere else, you could find it over there, whether it be episodes of this show, episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark with uh, the, I'd say like 85% reveal of what we're doing for hmm. the Patreon next year. There's still one little piece that we're going to give away here next week. Uh, also the reveal of what we'll be covering for the final Owls Gals and a trip down memory lane of one of the greatest TV shows of all time that is celebrating an anniversary this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Family Matters. I, well, I think Family Matters had an anniversary, but that's not a good show. Right. Uh, also, you've got Puzzle Warriors 3, you got Profane Arguments, you got Final Wrestling Place, you got Wednesday Night Wars, all of those shows and more. Whenever they come out, you could find them at their specific locales or at soon to be named network.com, soon to be named network.tumblr.com. Now, as I'm completing through the year, uh, or through the weeks remaining here, giving away Jason Kirk, formerly of Podvocacy, <laughs> uh, Everlasting Minute, uh, the wrestling Star Trek show's name escapes me right now. It's been a long time. Like I, said, I mentioned at the top of the show, my mind is failing. Uh, the next character in his email address is the number eight. So if you've been following along or just listened to last week when I gave away the whole thing, uh, but I actually have dedicated notes so I remember. Okay. 
Uh, digital sales and freebies, it's the same freebies from last week. Uh, they have held over. How long will they hold over is up to I don't know who. Uh, but our sales this week, that Ninja Turtle sale from IDW is still going strong. I think it's going until the first week of January. Also to the first week of January. And, and again, I, I have no problem with this. But this certainly, certainly smacks of people getting ready to go home for the holiday week. Because mm-hmm. uh, DC is having a holiday sale. Usual suspects are in there. Dark Knight <laughs> Returns, Batman Year One. But this sale is good for two weeks as opposed to the usual one week that the sales are good for. Mm-hmm. So I think that someone doesn't want to like preload that information for a new sale that starts next week. Right. And Marvel is having a sale on Doctor Strange and Doctor Strange related things. I think there's a big new Doctor Strange relaunch either coming this week or next. So that's probably a thematic of that. It's next week. Next week. There you go. Uh, but yeah, all that stuff will be in the show notes, of course. So, Todd, let's get into what we read from this past week. I would like to start with the book that I just read, the book I was looking forward to most, which is Doom 2099, written by Chip Zdarsky and art by Marco Castillo. Um, basically, th- this in the, the grand story of the 2099 arc that's been going on um, is the story of Dr. Doom apparently showing this is when the Doom appeared all the way back in the first issue of uh, Doom 2099 back in the day. This is kind of that story because he remembered fighting Reed Richards, there being an explosion, something, blah, 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 and he's transferred forward in time. But something's off here. I'm not 100% sure, you know, because I was like, that story was in the past. Is that where we are? And as we go on, it's Doom trying to get to his castle in Latveria, meeting various people in the Wasteland or the Ravage, as they call it, meeting the Kingpin of 2099. And he doesn't have a mask on, but his face is all busted up and you can see it, which always throws me off. And then we get the swerve in the book that maybe things aren't what we see. Um, I've been enjoying the 2099 storyline, but I really don't understand. I've, I've enjoyed the single books that I bought, but I can't figure out an overarching story of it all. Even from the Nick Spencer Spider-Man books that that's, this is all weaving in and out of. I'm like, I don't know. I've enjoyed the uh, the Fantastic Four 2099 book a little bit. I really enjoyed the Doom 29 as a one-shot story. But I cannot rec- – if you're a Doom 2099 fan from back in the day, I recommend this story. But as a overarching story of the, the whatever they're trying to do with this 2099 now, um, I can't recommend it as a whole story over arc. It's just – it's not doing it for me. I But I did like this one-shot issue. Yeah, and – I am a little bit behind on some of my books. Uh, I'm not 100% caught up on uh, the Amazing Spider-Man book that all the 2099 stuff is like kind of heavy in. But nothing that's going on in that book is making me want to pick up any of the other 2099 books. Right. And even in the regular Spider-Man book, this is spoiler-free. Miguel shows up as spider man 2099 and he's he's doing stuff like the timeline now as stuff is going on and i i don't see how it affects anything in the future like it's really not put together like this seems like an afterthought as a as a crossover Hmm. so 
I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel you could read the Spider-Man books without reading any of these. And if you're a fan of the individual books from back in the day, pick up the individual books that you want. That's yeah. the best I could say. It's not, you know, but like I said, enjoyed it as a Doom fan, but that's it. Is Ravage in this? You um, mentioned uh, the, the garbage man that Stan Lee created. Uh, Stripperella? No, no. I'm no. I, Ravage isn't in this book, but the Ravage, mm. I guess his name comes from the Great Wasteland outside the city. is called the Ravage, and Doctor Doom is transversing the Ravage to get to Latveria, if that makes any sense. Right. So Ra- Ravage isn't in this, and I don't even think there was a Ravage... There was a Ravage 2099 back in the day, but there's there isn't one in this crossover. That when you had said the Ravage, that's what I'm like, oh, is Ravage in it? Not the Ravage, like the Rob. Right. Land, yeah. not the person. That would be the selling point for me. If Ra- if you are reading any of the 2099 books and you tell me which one Ravage is in, that's the one I will pick up. Okay. I'll let you know if he if he wanders through. Yes. So, the book I was most looking forward to coming out this week was Immortal Hulk number 28, written by Al Ewing, uh, with art by Tom Riley and Matthias Bergara. Uh, this is the continuation of Banner Hulk bringing down Roxxon from the inside, or from the outside, by taking away not uh, a physical fight, which of course the Hulk would win, but the Minotaur is ready for, but he took down all of the Roxxon social media stuff. Right, so that they can't spin their agenda to the people anymore. Right, so this book has very little actual Hulk in it up until the very, very end. This is more so on how what the Hulk is doing is affecting Roxxon on a very big level of how Minotaur is trying to fix the problem, and on a very small level as to how a security guard at Roxxon is being affected by this because of his rebellious daughter. Mm-hmm. The differences in generations, Joe. Yes. Uh, I thought this was great. I really love this book. We talk about it quite a bit on the show. And every twist and turn and new corner that this book decides to go down is a welcome surprise and a fantastic read. Mm-hmm. I I enjoyed it. I you know it's not too politicky yet for me. Um, that's the one worry that I do have that it may you know go down that road. But I but I I I found it interesting. Though I I do you know maybe take like I'm like eh, sometimes I agree with the security guard. But what are you gonna do? You know what I mean? I'm an old guy, so uh, we'll see where it goes. But I enjoyed it, and then I enjoyed the character, like the old timey uh, spoiler alert character from Hulk that shows up to help the Minotaur. And I'm like, I'm all in. I'll, I'll read this. I'm good. I do miss uh, Bennett's art, though. That's the one thing that I equate with this book. That it's you know my brain is attuned to want him on this book and even if a great artist takes over for him you still want to see, like now i equate al ewing as the writer and joe bennett as the artist of immortal hulk and anytime that varies a little bit i'm thrown off it's not you know totally like oh i can't read this book anymore but it's like oh it's not joe bennett that's it I, you know i get you and i know we had discussed before that uh you know he had a death in the family and i can I, right. assume Right, and I can assume that's part of the issue, and this is one of the more hot books at Marvel right now, and they don't want to skip 
Uh, I, I get you know, it. Not a complaint. We're going to talk about maybe a little bit later on. Right. Um, I totally, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I totally get it, and I'm not complaining. You know what I mean? I get why he has to do it. So, I think they are doing an amiable job of getting... I don't want to say look-alike artists, but definitely mm-hmm. feel-alike artists. Like, no one is Joe Bennett. His art is, you know, right. has really come to be something special in this book. Um, But I think they do a good job of, ta- you know, at least when I read the book, I'm not as taken aback by it as you are. Right. It, it, they are finding people who can mimic the feel, if not the style. Right. If that makes any sense. And I also want to mention as well, and this is not a slight, of course, on Jason Aaron or anything, but I think with uh, Minotaur, in the two or three issues that Al Ewing has gotten to use with him, we've seen him more fleshed out here than we did see him when he was in the Thor books. Yes, I have a feeling the Minotaur will be remembered for Immortal Hulk more than the Thor book. Yeah, that will be the Malekith villain, where he will be the villain remembered for Immortal Hulk. Yes. So that's what we read from this past week. Let's look into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. If you head over to longboxheroes.com every Tuesday around 5.30 Eastern Time or so, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, however it is that you get your books, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out. And as I put in the notes there, Todd, this is my biggest week in 13 months. Yes, and it's a regular week for me. I think we both have exactly 15 books this week, Joe. Yes. And I think it goes without saying Mm -hmm. that the book you are most looking forward to coming out this week would have to be legally by the standards set by the show mm-hmm. doomsday clock number 12 exactly and i think it's a push it's the same for you right correct now i this is where i hijack the segment and i ask because it is the book that i'm 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 legally obligated to be you know looking looking forward to the most even though it isn't because i've kind of locked the the lateness has made this the lackluster you know like it's out of sight out of mind blah 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 but this is the ending of it so so i'm picking it i, I totally get with that but if there was no doomsday clock this week can i guess this is, right i was going to say these are big weeks we have a bunch of a whole bunch of, of and I'm interesting on what your next book would have been and what my next book would have been because there's a whole bunch here. So you could go first because obviously you started the show. If you remember, um, you could you could pick what it, my second book would have been. Suicide Squad number one. It would not have been Suicide Squad. Oh really? It is because this is the one that I'm thinking about. It is the ending of King Thor. That is, uh, or the whole Jason Aaron Thor run, because as much as I'm looking forward to Suicide Squad with uh, with uh, Tom Taylor on it, I I look at it's basically the end of Batman's run and the end of Thor's run, and I'm equating like which one, you know, of those great runs are we looking forward to most? Now I could be wrong. Is the book you're looking forward to most? Uh, I don't know. I'm just looking King Thor or anything like that. It, it also would have been King Thor. Okay. 
Because there's, I... there's a ton of new stuff starting. There's a ton of stuff ending. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of stuff returning this week. You know, it's, it's a huge week on top of Doomsday Clock number 12 coming out. Right. And that's my thing. I just, because I was really curious. And then if it wasn't either of those, I was going to be like, which one more, King Thor or Batman? You know what I mean? Right. Which we still don't have Batman Catwoman in the previews yet. No, no. So we'll see. I don't know. So it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting show next week, and it's gonna be an early show next week. Oh, right, because of the holiday next week, most uh, shows probably taking a week off, maybe going late. We're going early. Uh, so instead do. of this, instead of this being in your iTunes feed when you wake up Wednesday morning, this will be in your iTunes or whatever podcatcher you use feed Tuesday morning as you're traveling and doing all the things that you need to do for Christmas Eve. We'll uh, make this family friendly and a lot of fun. Uh, and are we gonna? We do the gift, and we'll do the uh, gift exchange. We do our gift opening. Yes, we will. That will be you know live on tape next week. That's right. I still put this show on tape just because. Mm-hmm. So while you're over at LongboxHeroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that's over there. Uh, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark. 2017 smash sensation Todd and Joe have issues. Uh, you could also purchase stuff through our store, whether it be shirts or stickers or pins with our fancy logo on them. You know, there's a week left, eight days, eight days uh, <laughs> left uh, for your Christmas shopping. If you order today, I can get them in the mail tomorrow. You know, you could probably have them in time for Christmas. If you want to get uh, someone, some of our fancy merchandise, if you have no timetable on that sort of stuff. You can always go to our T Public store and check some stuff out there. Uh, also, check out our Patreon mentioned at the beginning of the show. If you listen to After Dark, we kind of give a little bit more of a pitch to sign up for Patreon next year. Next week's episode here, we're going to give the full pitch. We're going to lay everything out of what you can get for what. Uh, as little as a dollar, you can get everything that we're putting up on the Patreon starting mm-hmm. in 2020. Heck of a deal. Heck of a deal indeed. And hey... Uh, listening to last week's show, uh, I forgot to do the Amazon read. Did you? I did. Uh, we were in a hurry. There was a bunch of stuff that I specifically put in the Amazon notes from last week. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I had my, pr- I, I had the writers working on stuff. You know, the team of writers that I have that constructs everything that I tweet or say into a microphone or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they worked on a bunch of stuff. And then I got notes from them saying that I didn't use any of their material. And Uh-oh. I said, oh, did I forget to use their material? And I'm like, no, I just forgot to read the Amazon stuff. I didn't even, I missed it. Right. So, hey, do all your purchasing through Amazon. Uh, I think you can still get stuff if you're prime shipping, uh, two-day delivery. I think the cutoff is probably going to be Saturday, the last time that you can get something in time for Christmas. Some of the notable purchases this past week through the uh, Amazon click-through, I am remembering, is a book entitled The World According to Snoopy. Uh, somebody purchased, as it says in the description, award-winning deluxe design kit Spirograph. Remember Spirograph, Todd? I do. Uh, somebody also purchased a sparkly purple Santa hat. Fun child teen adult Christmas costume. Is Stan? I was going to say, if it was a shiny silver Santa hat, it absolutely would have been Stan, but purple, I don't know. I've seen a, 
I've seen a gold jacket, I've seen a silver jacket, I've never seen a purple jacket. Mm, okay. And somebody also purchased volume one and three of Matt Fraction, Chip, Chip Zadarsky's Sex Criminals. I guess they already have volume two. Mm, maybe they got a deal on it somewhere else. Maybe. I don't know what better deal you can get than buying it directly through our Amazon click-through. <laughs> no better deal. That's that's your wasted time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Todd, did we have any... Uh, and thank you, everyone, of course, who's been a Patreon, has purchased a shirt or a sticker or a pin or whatever it is. Anyone who's done any of their shopping through our Amazon click-through, again, we greatly appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, and I believe you were asking if we had an art attack this week? Hey, Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? We did not. I'm guessing everybody's going to shoot them out after they get them. They get all that comic art for Christmas, Joe. Because, you know, that's the gift that means Christmas is comic art. Right. I'm assuming that probably after the 8th of January, when one of our listeners purchases those uh, Eastman and Laird sketches that are up on eBay, we'll Mm -hmm. get those scanned out to us uh, as well. If they don't send them to me as a gift, maybe. That would be nice. I understand you can't make the Christmas deadline because they don't go off until January. So or eight days or something like that. And then they're away on vacation. So who knows? Right. Uh, so also, Hey, let's talk about before we get into the mailbag, uh, it came up in the mailbag last week and I want to talk about it again because every week, uh, the website shelf dust is revealing their 50 top first comic book issues of all time. Mm hmm. And we discussed the first 20 last week, and the next 10 are up. And I had a lot more bones of contention with the previous 20 than I do with these 10. I don't know if you've gotten a chance to look at the list. I have, and I'm with you on this one. I think they got this part of the list more right, if Mm -hmm. if that's the correct term. More right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Astro City, absolutely. Oh, that's a killer first issue. Absolutely. Astro City is a collection of standalone and two-issue storylines until, and I I actually was talking about someone, uh, someone on my Twitter feed mentioned that they were killing time by rereading Astro City while they were waiting for whatever it was, Mm -hmm. and I said, I I tell you, there was no better book for a longer period of time than that until it hit that weird Steeljack storyline that just went on way too long. That, to me, was the last good story. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the high point of the confessor or anything like that. But that's still to me. I like the steel jack. I like the idea of, you know, the the the, the grizzled old villain who's turns life around. He's got, you know, metal skin, but he's starting to notice rust. I like I remember a lot yeah. of that story. So doing that, like, I don't remember any of the stories after that, if that makes any sense. So that's how I know that's the last good one. The, right. The one thing that I remember is it it started hot. And I know there were delays on Astro City, and then I think it ended up being like an eight or nine part saga. Was it that long? Yeah, I'm almost certain that it was. Hang on, you're gonna make me. This is how. This is unfortunately how my brain works. Mm-hmm. This is how we get into fights over Erica Durant. <sighs> <laughs> okay, Steeljack. Uh, bu- 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 one, two, three, four. Yep, eight parts. Wow, yeah, that is too long. Issue fourteen to twenty. That is too long because an Astro City sh- should be no more than 
four, six at the most. Two is the sweet spot for Astro City, man. Oh, I like agree. One, ones are hot, but two is the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. So uh, this so y- this is actually the definition of a book of a first issue of yep. what you should do with a comic. You know what I mean? That's that's right. How this almost isn't at one like blows my mind. The only thing that I think could hold this back is that a lot of it assumes that you know superhero stuff. And in 1996, that may not have been as prevalent as it is in 2019. Whereas, you know, this issue one of uh, Kurt Busiek and uh, Brent Anderson is the artist. I know, right. Uh, It plays a lot on Superman. I agree, but that's like saying, like, not knowing anything about the next one on the list, which is Ex Machina, Machina, however you say it. Like, nobody knows that character, and you're going to read it anyway. Okay, so I where I think where it comes in is, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, but Astro City was being marketed to people who were already reading comic books and more than likely had a very intimate knowledge of more than your baseline knowledge of Superman, right? Right. And this was essentially like, here's a what if Superman story, mm-hmm. but it's not what if because it's a new character called the Samaritan who just happens to be also just like Superman. Mm-hmm. And I think in 1996, if you gave this to someone like fresh with not a ton of comic book knowledge, I think they'd be like, I don't understand why they're doing this weird Superman y stuff like this. This like means something like I think you'd have a lot a little bit more explaining to do. Whereas if you gave this book, Astro City number one, to someone in 2019, that they're gonna like, okay, they have enough Superman knowledge that they've gleaned through pop culture and society that it's gonna make a little bit more sense. Whereas Ex Machina is not a superhero book. It is, but it isn't, but because there's political stuff and it's more self contained. Well, let me ask you this question then, like yes. to play, play devil's advocate. You were upset that, what, Thunderbolts was at 50? Yeah. Give that to somebody who's never read a comic and go, hey, these are all villains that you never heard of. You know what I mean? Being being portrayed as, you know, heroes, blah, blah, blah. Because, like, to, to me, this whole thing is a list geared towards people who read comics. Like, so to, to use the, the measuring stick of you give it to somebody who's never read Red comic. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Like then by that by that measure, then Thunderbolts is exactly where it should be at issue fifty or number fifty. Because it doesn't have the effect if you give it to somebody new who's like, oh, they were really it was really you know Baron Zemo the whole time. Who's Baron Zemo? So I will freely <laughs> admit, I have rose colored glasses when it comes to Thunderbolts number one. Mm-hmm. I think it's a perfect comic because it's one of my favorites Mm -hmm. all the things that i said about astro city which is also one of my favorite comic books uh don't apply to thunderbolts because uh i'm a hypocrite good because i was gonna i was gonna whisper hypocrisy into the microphone but but do you see what i'm saying like i'm not i I, i'm i uh, you may think it's mean but i'm like the way i look at it is like you can't have it both ways so that's why but i get what you're saying yep and ex machina number one's another great first issue Mm-hmm. It's I a great. It's a great run on a uh, great run of a book. Forty-eight issues, four specials. Mm-hmm. You get a full beginning, middle, and end. Another book that was plagued by some lateness. Mm-hmm. But this was, you know, lateness that they were very clear about. They said, "Listen, we are not putting out this book unless we can get Tony Harris to draw it." 
Right, except and we knew along the lines, he's like the specials are mixed in with the regular book, so you're getting different artists on that, and I'm okay with that. It was kind of the same way, which a book that'll probably be on here, I was fine with it. It was Steve Dillon on all the preacher issues, and then all the specials were various artists except for the last one. It was mm-hmm. Steve Dillon. So I'm fine when they with when they give us the heads up, I'm totally cool with it. So uh, next one uh, that they have here, Immortal Hulk number one. And I would have to agree with that a little too early to be ranked so high. But I think it was a really good first issue. We talked about it very highly and glowingly on this very podcast when it first came out. It was the book that gave me shivers as I was reading it. And that's always a good uh, it's a good way to describe a first issue, Joe. Right. And I want to bring this up here uh, because we did talk about Immortal Hulk number 28 before. Todd, in the calendar year 2019, how many issues of Immortal Hulk did we get? Of 2019? Yes. You're not counting the absolute carnage uh, Immortal Hulk, right? No. Okay, just the, the numbering? Yes. Um, I'm going to guess 12? 17. Oh my God. I knew it wasn't, I knew it wasn't, it was, a, I should have guessed a little higher because I knew it was a little more than once a month, but I right. knew it wasn't much, much more because whenever you get that slow book compared to like DC double shipping Batman and Flash, you're like, boy, it feels like it's been forever since I got into Mortal Hulk. And then you'd get two like within a week and a half. Right. It, it was, it was, it seemed as though it was like piggybacking a lot in the, during the summer months, but that's, you know, it was kind of a hearkening back to Marvel back in the days during the summer where like whatever their bigger books would be. It's like now twice a month for the summer, mm-hmm. you know, like Spider-Man and X-Men and whatever else would always be twice a month because the kids are home and let's get them out to the comic book store more often. That's right. And uh, how's the X? Oh, sorry. I was going to say up next is house of 10. House of Ten, number one. Uh, if only we had something that was inserted into the show that helped explain these sort of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Immortal Hulk is too early to be on the list, then this is definitely too early to be on the list. I think as this came out like two or three months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, have not read it, so I cannot comment on it. Uh, Transmet, number one, by Warren Ellis and Derek Robertson. Uh, great first issue, but why do I remember this was like a two-parter? Uh, it might've been because, because yeah. the, well, the whole thing with transmit, it was a six parter to start. I do believe. Um, but it was also under the helix line for, I don't think a whole six issues then went over to vertigo, but I remember this issue being a good, like cliffhanger kind of first issue, not a complete story, but some of them aren't always. And once again, you know, your whole Thunderbolts rant. Yes. Transmet falls into kind of a thunderbolts not the surprise but in my heart near and dear so this gets the rub for me i'm fine with this being on the list i'm surprised this book doesn't get more play today with the way that politics have been both here and abroad over the last three to four years i I don't know either and i'm really surprised warren ellis two things warren ellis and derek roberts are uh robertson roberts i always get that wrong but um robertson uh aren't doing more transmets they must be like the story's done warren else is weird anyway on that like he doesn't even finish books that he has the rest of the story for so when he ends the story he's done but that it's not an it's not there's not new issues this isn't being pushed like you said as like the political climate that it is today and there's not a a treatment for an fx series or something for transmet that you could totally 
you know, weave into like the climate of today, like yep. seamlessly. It blows my mind. Uh, so next, next on the list is uh, the Mark Wade uh, Daredevil number one, which Todd will tell you was the first appearance of, da- of Daredevil, but it was not. Right. It wasn't? Uh, no, it's not. But a great first issue, kind of wrapping up what happened in the previous runs and setting up what Mark Wade is going to be doing with the character. And this one, I vividly remember, it was a one issue, and then it led into a two issue, and then that led into a two issue. Right. Definitely, I remember it giving you the flavor you were going to need for the, yep. for this book. You know what I mean? Which was good, because that's, I'll joking aside, you say that's my first appearance, what I think is the first appearance of Daredevil. But it's my Daredevil. I don't, you know, I, I didn't really read the Frank Miller. I read it years later, and it wasn't what you know like you know because it had been built up and i had seen people ape frank miller's daredevil run it wasn't what it was so when i read this i was like this is what i like and i honestly think i'll never like daredevil again because everybody wants to do frank miller's daredevil it'll be in 20 years when the kids who read this are writing comics yep. we'll get this daredevil again as how everything goes in cycles Speaking of another book that probably is going to inspire people to write great comic books in 20 years, that's Vision Number 1 by uh, Tom King and Gabriel Hernandez-Walta. Yes, it's a first chapter of a 12-issue maxi-series, but that's a, first, that's, a, that's a strong first issue, man. Mm-hmm. I really liked it. I think on this one, it is a strong issue, but I think maybe uh, it should have been a little lower. I think this is something that is on people's radar more as a whole than a first issue, if that makes any sense. Yes. Where even, like, even your love of, like, I get Thunderbolts and I get, you know, what it was, that that has the the power of a first issue. I think, I don't know, with me, Tom King is 12-issue story arcs. And yep. that's what he'll always be. And I people will give him three issues because of the power of his work. So really a one is, you know... I don't know. This seems a little high on the list for me. Uh, another one that I think maybe a little high on the list is Paper Girls number one. Hey, we're Brian K. Vaughn fans here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a rare miss by Brian K. Vaughn. It's a period piece. There's aliens. Time there's travel. Time travel. There's all sorts of stuff. And this is a book that I hung on to for a long time, but it, it just didn't keep my interest like a lot of other books and a lot of other Brian K. Vaughn stuff. I I'm with you. I think this is way too high on the list. I think this is what, like you said, one of the, the rare misses of Brian K. Vaughn. I love uh cliff Chang's artwork on wonder woman with Brian Azarell. So it's like, that's beautiful. I just, I, this is one of those, maybe, you know, uh, I, uh, a woman would like this book better. Cause it's, you know, the, the protagonists are, are young females or it just wasn't for me written for, I don't know, but I, I mean, I hung on to, paper girls way longer than i should have and i did never i never finished it so to me this is way too high on the list uh next up a book that should be higher on the list and that's gotham central number one written by rucka and ed brubaker art by michael lark uh this is another one that they mostly did one and two issue storylines very much Mm -hmm. in the vein of the aforementioned astro city uh i think maybe twice during its entire run they did a longer story arc and when they did it meant something it had Mm -hmm. much more of a punch to it um arguably one of the best series of the last 20 years gotham central 
Totally agree. There's honestly not much more that you're going to say that I, I can add to what you said. You know, so many memorable moments, like just the quick one to the person they hire as attempt to turn on the bat signal. I'll always remember that is one of the coolest ideas in comics because, hey, we can't really uh, we can't condone vigilantes. So you don't really work here. Hit the switch. And I was like, brilliant idea. And all that kind of realism woven into a Batman universe was fantastic. And then the last one on the list, um, maybe should have been a little bit lower, but I think it gets a little bit more love because it is probably one of the more accessible Grant Morrison stories, and that's Batman and Robin number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did a lot to set up putting Dick Grayson behind the cowl, teaming him up with Damien. I uh, had one of the most emotional punches at the end of this story arc, but... Grant Morrison at this point was becoming the impenetrable mess that uh, a lot of people claim that he is, mm-hmm. some more than others. <laughs> but this was as superhero as Grant Morrison had gotten since JLA number one. Right. Um, I have nothing to really add to this because I remember maybe reading it early on, a couple issues. But Grant doesn't get a lot of my money, so I don't think... I don't think it's fair for me to comment on this book, if that makes any sense. Like, because I didn't really care for it, didn't read it, you know, didn't stick around on it. I don't have much to say. Gotcha. And uh, we'll talk about the next uh, 10 next week when the list comes out. Mm-hmm. And hey, I just want to throw out here, of course, from the mailbag. Uh, i got a couple here. And then we'll get into TV top and co- talk and kind of wrap things up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a tweet last week uh, from friend of the show, Fred Chamberlain. Uh, who had asked us that he had finally gotten a copy of the Criminal Deluxe Volume 2 hardcover. Uh, And he said, what do you think the chances that we see a third volume? And I would say, that's the best bet in the world. There'll definitely (laughs) be a next volume. I I totally agree with him having a cult following and him in control of his own, you know, creator-owned stuff. He's going to want to put that out because there's a market. If he's doing new criminal, there's a market for old criminal. So, you know, that's, I look at it as you will see him, him do that volume. I think maybe where the only concern be, could be coming in is the weird stuff that Brubaker is doing with the current run on Criminal, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, here's a bunch of one shots, and then here's this, like, original graphic novel that kind of ties into things. Mm-hmm. And he's doing like a lot of like, just like a little bit weird, kind of the way that it's being printed and collected and presented and then recollected after the fact. And I can see why that may make you think that they won't be doing the collections the normal way. But I, I have a very strong feeling we'll see volume three of the uh, criminal hardcovers. I agree. And then the other question that we had was from another longtime listener uh, of the show, a friend of the show as well, Kevin Ford, sent an email in asking, with the year coming to a close, I ask if there was a book in 2019 you felt went overlooked and would encourage readers to check out a brand new series, introduced a one-shot, a miniseries, long-running book that really picked up momentum, had a good story arc, etc. Mm-hmm. So I was looking at my uh, stuff that we had picked up in the past. And, you know, I I think there's a lot of heavy hitter stuff. And I think there's stuff that we kind of always pulled for on the show and always mentioned, Mm -hmm. Um, you know. But if you're looking for something a little bit different, a little bit weird, a little bit that may have been unassuming, 
a lot more of it falls on the Marvel side that we really didn't do a ton of talking about. Okay. Um, the Young Justice stuff, or is not, uh, what's it called? The Wonder, the Wonder Line. The Wonder Line, yes. We talk about the Wonder Line. Um, I think Naomi and uh, Wonder Twins specifically ended up being both uh, critical and financial successes. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think they were probably banking on Young Justice being the heavy hitter to kind of lead the line. And then it was all the ancillary books that really were where uh, the strongest stories were. Right. Whereas over on Marvel, it's a lot of stuff that we would kind of mention in passing, but I think maybe people overlooked for a variety of reasons. But I know I really enjoyed um, the Superior Spider-Man run, mm-hmm. where it was Doc Ock as Spider-Man on the West Coast, uh, kind you know, in a new body with a new identity, not as Doctor Octopus, and just kind of tying into a lot of that sort of stuff. But I think if you weren't as in depth into the amazing Spider-Man stuff that was going on with Doc Ock, maybe it might not ring true for you, but I think a lot of it holds up, um, you know, on its own, even, Mm -hmm. uh, I think it did fall a little bit because it did get tied into like war, the realms and something else as well. And that might've halted its momentum a bit. Uh, Jeremy Whitley's Wasp stuff, unfortunately, you know, they Marvel really did try to push that book, and it was a really good, fun book, and I think it did resonate with a crowd. Um, I think they were hoping it resonated with a little bit more of a crowd, <laughs> and that's something that did see print. And, you know, we kind of goof on DC, as I mentioned at the top of the show, that, like, we don't talk about Marvel soliciting stuff and putting it out. They may cancel a book, like... Issue one of a book may come out in the next week. They tell us that it's canceled issue four. But when they say a, a trade's going to come out, that trade's going to come out, you know? Mm-hmm. They don't really mess around with that sort of thing. And another weird oddball one uh, would be the Gail Simone Domino book. Okay. Uh, don't let the Greg Land cheesecake covers lead you astray. Uh, it's a book that kind of goes all over the place in the best way possible. There's Kung Fu stuff in it. There's, you know, uh, espionage stuff in it. There's space stuff in it. It's just a lot of really weird and interesting stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I checked it out cause it was Gail Simone and they did rebrand the book as hot shots for some reason for the last four issues. Uh, I think just to try to give it a new number one to try to boost sales, but it didn't work out that well. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think Domino is a book that you should definitely check out. Uh, if you're a fan of Gail Simone's past work, uh, she always puts out very quality stuff. Right. Um, so how's about you, Todd? Anything that you had? Uh, I, 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 right. I'm more of like weird independent, like even though if you call image independent, um, uh, I, as I looked over my list, I, I went through my pool list, uh, from the website, which helped because I don't keep meticulous notes as you do. And I, and you know what? I was actually saddened by my lack of diversity in the comics. And I don't mean like what you just like, all right, I got my flash. I got my Batman's, but very rarely did I go outside my, my wheelhouse, my, my norm. Um, but in that, 
there was a couple of things, and and we've talked about them on the show. Uh, for me this year, one of my big my big favorites was Gunning for Hits, a little you know book with a with a David Bowie pastiche with a with a hit, with a past hitman or mafia guy who's running a record label. To me, that was fun and interesting to see someone who was inside a record label do like talk about how, the ins and outs of the '80s music industry. And I was like, I was fascinated with that. That was something different. Um, finally, coming back around, we just talked about it last week. I think everybody should get on the trolley. With Dead Eyes, Dead Eyes, I think after you know being hamstrung as Dead Rabbit and the whole the whole you know uh, lawsuit and everything like that, I'm like just three reading rereading ish to two issues which were out last year, but that's there now. Get on board with that while you can, and um, like if for someone who's not a faint of heart, another image book uh, which was just a mini, so you can get it all is Assassination Assassination. I always want to say assassination nation, but assassination, which was, you know, like a plot to get a bunch of uh, an old assassin, to get a bunch of assassins together to, you know, someone's trying to kill him and he wants them to take it out. That was, that was great fun. Um, a little more adult. So just, just letting you know, but that's kind of stuff. And then anything we talked, you talked about the wonder line, which wonder twins got a lot of the hype. I'm a big fan of Mark Russell. And now like, if you like, uh, I think if you like that, like the the Red Sonia, which came out uh, this year by him, is really good. And there was a, uh, a bunch of issues that he did a Lone Ranger. If you're looking for a Western, that was fun and different than like a lot of the the Lone Ranger stuff that I've read. But it was it was weird, and it made me doing this made me open my eyes and maybe think about expanding my horizons in 2020 when it comes to buying comics. Ooh, look at you. <laughs> Because I felt I was I was I was I was pretty bland in my choices of buying comics in 2019. If that makes any sense, I think I should like stretch my wings for 2020 and, and try some new stuff every mm-hmm. once in a while. So I'm glad we actually did this. Well, thank you, Kevin. He's uh, you know maybe someday he'll be picked as a classic Patreon and have to pay shipping on a keychain to be sent to his house. I hope so. One can only hope to be so lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's it for the main part of the show uh, before we get into TV talk. Mm-hmm. So thanks, everyone, for listening to episode 481 of Longbox Heroes. We bid you adieu if you don't care about the TV stuff, Flash or the Mandalorian. Uh, let's start with Flash first, since I think Mandalorian is going to lead us to a little bit more talk. Right. Uh, I don't want to say that I was underwhelmed by part three of Crisis on Infinite Earths going over to the Flash. But I was definitely underwhelmed because I felt as though killing off John Wesley's ship, Barry Allen, is a cop-out. I agree. I I totally agree. Um, and it didn't have the, the gravitas of whatever. I mean, if it had a... the As old Crisis fans and seeing a Flash, seeing a Flash disintegrate and seeing part of his costume is great. But when you set up you know, five years of Flash dying, and it's just like, oh, which is this other one that, you know, we met last year. We're good. Let's move on. You know, I'm with you. Right. Um, and I, I will also follow up here where the parchment of who is going to go to the vanishing point, where mm-hmm. the uh, anti-monitor cannot get them. If only it was as easy as just writing your name on the piece of paper over someone else can get you there. 
Because mm-hmm. uh, apparently it is, because that's just how it works. It's the book. He changed the book of destiny, Joe. I, that's one of the things that I actually really loved. I really liked that. I like the fact that as you're watching Lex in the thing, reading his book, the bookmark the whole time was that page from the book of destiny. I'm fine with it. It's, it's, it's a, it's a crossover with a TV show that has terrible wigs. I'm fine with it. And I finally was able to pinpoint what my problem is with this Lex. It's his goatee. That's all. No, it's not. He doesn't have a goatee. He has like a full beard. All right, then it's the it's the full beard. And I don't like the look of him. And he looks squirrely. Mm-hmm. At least our other Lexes that we've had in the past, maybe they're a little bit taller. Maybe they're a little bit bulkier. Maybe they're old. Maybe they give off an air of gravitas or whatever it is. This Lex looks like a squirrely weirdo with a beard. And hey, man, if that's the path you want to go with your Lex Luthor, uh, for the ingenuity, not the execution, of how he got to the van- the vanishing point, I'll put him above Jesse Eisenberg on the list of Lexes from least from least to best, but right. not much higher than Jesse Eisenberg. Only because oh. if you recut that, I think they do it in the Snyder cut of Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, mm-hmm. where they just redub over that it's not Lex Luthor, that it's the Joker. Right, it's the same that's, movie, and that's just what, every time that they say Lex, a clumsy voice edit comes in and says Joker. Yes, it's <laughs> hey, Mister Joker. But uh, I'm with you. I always felt that a lot of that dialogue. I have a feeling that 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 movie was supposed to be Le- Lex Luthor and the Joker. Yeah. You know, like just keep all the dialogue and just give they, it to Lex. They just mix the two characters together. Right, and um, and I was going to say, because last week we got into a heated debate over Lex Luthor's, and I was like, I was like yeah, because if you're going to have that, you know, he's not imposing, he's not, he doesn't have the gravitas, he's a squirrely Lex Luthor with a, goatee, with, a with a beard, and I'm like, well, that's much better than a thin, uh, like, uh, as a rail Lex Luthor who gives senators jars of urine with peach tea written on it. Like, there's not much of a difference. <laughs> so, uh, John Cryer will always be head and shoulders above uh, the terrible Snyder Lex Luthor. Jesse Eisenberg. Is that his name? I don't even know. So any other feelings or thoughts on this uh, episode of Flash? Um, I, a couple of things. I like the fact that uh, we got a Lucifer crossover from the TV show. That was really cool. That's from the Fox show Lucifer that went over to Netflix. Mm-hmm. I didn't see that coming. Um, and the other thing is the surprise... Uh, Bring, uh, you know, appearance of Jim Corrigan as the Spectre. Um, it this makes me really think about the crossover. Um, because when John Constantine had his own TV show, Jim Corrigan showed up, um, on it, and he was like, they were like, they were showing things. They're like, certain times he'd have a shadow and it looked like the Spectre. He's like, I have a future that I know I'm going towards. So they were they were lining up a character, Jim Corrigan as the Spectre, and it also had the Medusa mask from the Psycho Pirate in it. So I'm wondering how much of this like, if, if John Constantine had kept going was like that they had this crisis planned for a long time, that they wanted any DC show to to cross over. Do you know what I mean? And then when the show didn't have the success, they're like, well, bring the cat, bring Matt Ryan over to legends of tomorrow. And that way we can bring in the specter, even though we never got to flesh him out. We can say he was there uh, this whole time. So it really makes me think that this was way bigger than we always thought. 
Gotcha. That I'm trying to think if there was. Uh, I this is my least favorite Wells character ever of Pariah. Yeah, he's just like they are wasting uh, a Wells here. It's just terrible. Um, but otherwise, otherwise, I'm with you. This was an underwhelming episode. I thought the the acting was clunky and the dialogue was clunky. Um, I just like anytime you could see Brandon Routh do be upset that he couldn't save people and then hear the song, the 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 Superman song, and I pop every time. But that's that's about everything that I had written down. Yeah, sadly, a little underwhelming. Um, you know, mid-season break, I think everything comes back in about six to seven weeks. And uh, more importantly, the return of Legends of Tomorrow, the A-plus show of the CW Network. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a lot of Rory, so I don't think there was any Rory in this yes, episode. I don't think so either. Mm-hmm. So let's move over to the Mandalorian. Uh, Mando, as he should never be called. Uh, is hired to do a deal with a bunch of other mercenaries, some who he has a past with, some that don't like him from the rip, uh, to go on a dangerous mission that they're told is an unmanned mission. And uh, there's a robot that's left over on Mando's ship that has uh, some fun playtime of the bad kind with Baby Yoda, a.k.a. the kid. Mm-hmm. The child. The child, the kid. I like the kid. He's the kid. Like, uh, is it, uh, is it the, the sidekick of uh, Dick Tracy, Warren Beatty's Dick Tracy? I think it was just called Kid. Mm-hmm. That's what I think this is. This is actually a stealth reboot of the 1990s Warren Beatty Dick Tracy. It has nothing to do with Star Wars. At the end, it's just gonna he's gonna put on a yellow hat and it's gonna all be all be primary colors and everyone's gonna be wearing weird weird prosthetics. I'm I'm Dick Tracy in your prune face. Oh boy, don't I'm gonna stop you there. <laughs> right. uh, so I'll say I liked this episode, mm-hmm. but it's not without its problems. What? Two big, huge problems. But uh, I guess what you think of the episode? I really liked it. It was a fun, you know, heist, not a, a jailbreak movie. It to me, like the whole. Uh, the whole thing of this, the Mandalorian is the Western motif. And this is just, we got to the jailbreak episode and I'm fine with it. So just fun. You know, I, I didn't hate all the, the side characters as much. I think uh, um, like one of the problems people talk about with the Mandalorian is like, why would he do it? Well, he landed, he knew he was in a jam. He needs money. um, Even though there's a droid involved and he thinks everything's sketchy. His ship needs repairs. They even say it's like your ship's running at 70% or whatever. He needs the money. And he's like, this was this is a bad idea, but I have no choice. So everybody was like, oh, he should have just up and left. I'm like, no, they gave you enough to go that he had to do this mission. He really didn't have much of a choice. Um, so I was fine with it. You know, problems here or there. The Kurgan was in it from Highlander, so I'm fine with it. Um, you know, and Bill Burr had a back gun. So that's all that matters. Hmm. So I know we've discussed this on the show, how it trips me out when real people show up in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. You know what trips me out even more? What? When two real people show up in Star Wars at the same time. And for me, it was three. Because I know the the woman who plays uh, the, the, the Twi'lek, I think, is their, their, uh, their species. Yes. What's she from? Well, she's from a show that you got into, or Game of Thrones. 
So I don't I was know no la- Game of Thrones. So I was laughing. I was like, the Viper meets OSHA. This is fantastic. And I guess the uh, like guy with the big crazy hair who sets them up on the mission. Sons of Anarchy, I think. Yeah, he he's in. from Sons of Anarchy, but I don't know that. So I think if I was more in tune with pop culture, mm-hmm. uh, I would have been more tripped up by this episode. But right. the fact that Bill Burr, podcaster and comedian, is just like, ah, I'm not going to try to do his bad Boston accent. But every time he talked, I'm like, I just hear your podcast. I hear your stand-up special. This isn't right. Ah. Though I did like the fact that he was a he was an imperial sharpshooter, and they're like that's not saying much. And he's like, I'm not a stormtrooper. He's like, I was like, that was a fun little you know blast. So and he got to take a dig at um he got to take a dig at Gungans Gungans oh. as they're also known as. He crushed the Gungan accent. He crushed it for the for his Bostonian accents. He's I think he's got he's part Gungan. He's he's one thirty fifth Gungan, Joe. So uh, I'm not saying that Bill Burr did a bad job. I thought he was great on the show, but it still trips me up every time a real person is on something Star Wars. And you know what? It trips me up now, knowing that I'm going to have to hear you talk about how it trips you up. I'm watching. I'm like, oh, my God, Bill Burr's in this. He's going to go nuts. And not not necessarily nuts, nuts. But like and then uh, then I was like, I'm like, how well does he know everybody else here? Because I'm like, she's only Osha from Game of Thrones. He's never watched that. And I can't think of anything else that he's seen. I'm like, did he does he know of Sons of Anarchy? Oh, my God. The Kurgan. Where does the Kurgan fit? <laughs> you know what I mean? So. So let's get into it. Let's mm-hmm. talk about your big uh, theory about Baby Yoda. Right. Everybody, you know how everybody's saying he's not he's not Baby Yoda. He's the child. He's he's this or that of you know Yoda's people. Yes. I'm doing the math, and like so, it's thirty some years from the Phantom Menace to the Battle of Yavin, which is a New Hope. So right. let's just say 35 years. I don't have the number. I, I should have brought the numbers out. Um, so you have that. You have like five years uh, from Empire, uh, from Star Wars to the end of Jedi. So that's 40 years. You have another five years to the Mandalorian. And they said that uh, before the Phantom Menace that they had started making the clone army. Do you know what I mean? Like it was in the works for clone stormtroopers. Like, what if Baby Yoda is actually Baby Yoda? That when they made all these clones, that they swipe some of Yoda's DNA? So this isn't just one of his people, a young, uh, or Yaddle, whatever, the the female Yoda from uh, the first, one of the first prequel movies, uh, and a kid from them or whatever. It's Yoda's kid or whatever. What if it's actually a clone because there's been... Tons of clones in the, you know, Star Wars universe. Uh, It's 50 years, around 50 years ago, they started cloning. The baby's 50 years old. What if it's a baby clone of Yoda? I think people have theorized that already. Oh, I'm sorry. But unless I'm mistaken, and I don't watch those prequels because they're terrible movies. Mm -hmm. When they cloned uh, Jango Fett. They were yes. the same age as Jango Fett, except for one, which was his son. Because he wanted his own kid to raise from a baby. 
Right. Now, do we know that he raised him from a baby? Or do we, like, was he kind of, like, started at a certain age? Well, here's the thing. If you can clone something Mm -hmm. and make it an adult or a young child, don't you think you can make it any age from a baby to, you know, the adult? Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, I I don't know, maybe, and that's what they want. They want more clones, whoever wants him, more clones of Baby Yoda. That's what they actually want. The And now with the past movies being like, oh, there wasn't enough heritage. You know, Ray should have been somebody's, I don't know, because I haven't seen the movie yet. Like, when you find out in the second uh, of the new trilogy that she's just the daughter of nobody's who left her. She should have been Luke or Ben Kenobi's. Or now they're trying to weave back in heritage to stuff because people were all upset. It's like, what's the best way to bring around some Yoda bloodline, Joe? Right. Now, I guess the question I have is, was this now maybe and again, maybe is this a clone of Yoda? Is this a clone of Yaddle or whatever it is? Or did Yoda work with the cloners to, you know, make some sort of offspring of a combination of himself and that other of his kind? I believe it's because Yoda was the last and he was like the the head of the Jedi Council at the time that it's straight up. It's 100% pure uncut Yoda. Mm-hmm. That's the way I look at it. I mean, and with the, you know, you know, we're going to jump another 25 years or whatever to this movie. Are we going to get like uh, a baby Yoda that can speak or whatever? And then, you know, can they, can you put a force ghost in a clone, Joe? Oh, These are all questions that I, what if we're going to get a brand new, young yoda like this is like speed aging clones for yoda joe this is what we need and he does the uh he does the yoda sword fighting where he's doing like flips and stuff all over the place like in the phantom menace or whatever it was right where in 25 years after that he can't move but before that yoda very spry yeah it's like an 80 year old being like "Ah, i'm too old to do that stuff but it's 75 I'm going to do some of them Jedi flips. I'm good. Now, we I do have the question is when the robot was trying to hunt him down on the ship and Yoda try, baby Yoda tried to do the force stuff on him, mm-hmm. did Mando save him in t- before he got a chance to really do anything? Or Mando was Yoda him. holding him there? I think it was... That's my favorite scene in the whole episode is mm-hmm. just because it's adorable that he looks at his hand. Yeah. And I think that it was straight up him, you know, the because the robot was going to kill him because it's a dead or alive kind of a thing. And and he, Mando saved the saved baby Yoda. But baby Yoda's like, "Did I do that?" kind of like baby Urkel, you know. Oh boy. Now, I don't know, did I mention this last week? Uh, maybe I did, maybe I didn't. I'll mention it again. It's weird that Baby Yoda is so light. Oh, he didn't make a sound when he hit the deck, I think. No, no, no. It, it, more so in the previous episode, but a little bit in this episode, when people pick him up and move him around, mm-hmm. it seems as though the puppet that they're picking up, like, you know, whether it be in the context continuity of the show or the shoot filming of things, that the puppet fe- seems very light. 
it's the whole complaint people have with coffee cups in in movies mm-hmm. and TV. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. Where they're like, oh, like coffee cups don't the physics don't work like that. They don't they don't make a a soft clop sound when you put them down if they have liquid in them. Yeah. Or people don't wave them around or do things. It's the same way. Whenever I see them pick it up, I'm like, is that puppet made of styrofoam? Yeah. Because like there should be like they just lift them up like. I, I don't believe in holding children. So I'm looking at a small sack of flour that I've lifted <laughs> where I'm like, you have to give it the, the, uh, when you're taking it off the ground, you're like, you got to prepare for it and give it the, the gusto in the first to get momentum. And I feel like yeah. there's none of that. It's just like, Hey, you're, you have no resistance when I lift you off the table. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm or, with, I, I see it. Or is Yoda using, or does or is Yoda super dense and weighs thousands and thousands of pounds, and he's using his own force powers to make himself seem lighter than he actually is? Are you fat shaming, baby Yoda? No, I'm, I'm density shaming, baby Yoda. <laughs> density shaming. Last week we had helmet shaming. Now this week density shaming. Yeah. There's a lot of shaming in the Mandalorian uh, universe. Absolutely. But I'm sorry my my thing has been used. I don't read other people's stuff on on Baby Yoda. So I figured I was the first to the party. But No, I've seen it talked about. I have gone and muted everything involving Star Wars as of this weekend. Right. Uh, as I'm not getting a chance to see the new Star Wars movie until Sunday. So right. I really got to have my guard up. And hey, don't forget Mandalorian comes out as you're listening to this today. That's right. Right. So, it's early this week. So maybe this is the way they get uh young hip baby Yoda will be teenager Yoda. I don't know what we'll call a 87 year old Yoda in the uh, rise of Skywalker or whatever it is. Adolescent Yoda. Yes. But anyway, those were just my, my few ideas on Mandalorian. And I still want to know who that person was on Tatooine following him. So. Maybe we'll find out this week. I think there was like some sort of coded message in a little bit of a write-up that was accompanying the next episode here. I don't read those. Yeah, I don't read them either, but, you know, we're talking about it, so I'm gonna. <laughs> okay. If there's it any just spoil- says, an old rival extends an inv- invitation to the Mandalorian to make peace. Oh, maybe it's the the person who who uh, who send the robots to kill his family. I'm thinking it's the lady who uh, helped him train the village in the homage to Three Amigos. Yes, yes. I think cause she's going to be back. Or maybe it's uh, the woman who babysat him while he was on Tatooine. Oh, there you go. It definitely won't be Amy Sedaris. I think she was one and done. I don't know. I think she's the key to the Mandalorian universe. She's the heart, Joe. The heart of the Mandalorian. I hope in the last episode of The Mandalorian... They bring all the real world people mm-hmm. into the last episode so we could get them all to trigger me one more time. That's right. They could all take that that you know that that bow at the end for Joe to just go crazy. Or maybe they're all force ghosts or something. I don't oh know. my god. Who was the, the comedian in the first the taxi driver in the first episode? Brian Posehn. I would love a Brian Posehn force ghost. Oh my goodness. <laughs> He'd be like the taxi driver in Scrooge. If I knew, and I'm glad that I didn't, that they were doing stuff like this going forward with the Mandalorian, I would have been taking bets on like who's going to be like the most weird cameo that shows up in this. That's right. It's going to be 
It's going to be sad Scotty Flamingo. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but one interesting thing that I find, you know, the uh, X-Wings that showed up to destroy the uh, to the space station that the Mandalorian was on? Yeah. They're all directors from the series. Oh, really? That's neat. Yeah, so, like, they're famous people, but you didn't notice it, so you weren't triggered. Yeah, and, and that's an acceptable cameo, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. If uh, Alfred Hitchcock could do a walk-by on his movie, then you could be an X-Wing fighter in yours, you know? That's right. If he's the before and after in a weight loss program on a newspaper, then you could have directors and X-Wing pilots. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. So- I think that's enough show. I think that's everything, yes. Yeah, we'll have a big show next week. Uh, I doubt there'll be any news that happens between now and then unless something crazy comes out in the March solicitations. But we'll have a ton of stuff to talk about with Doomsday Clock amongst amongst many other books starting and ending next week. Uh, We'll have discussion of Mandalorian. We'll have discussion of Rise of Skywalker. And it'll be out a day early. So, yay! Yes, sir. All right, everyone. Oh, sorry. And present exchanges, too, so that's good. Oh, the present exchange. Oh, my goodness. It's a holiday extravaganza next week. Mm-hmm. All right. So thanks for listening to episode 481 of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying thanks for listening, and we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Boop! You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Network.